This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, Ange McCormack with you. I'm filling in for Dave Marchese on the Hack podcast today. If you could bring an animal back from extinction, would you do it? And if so, which animal would you choose? Which one? Scientists are playing God again, and they're keen to bring back the dodo. So why the dodo? Why is it so special? Do we need it back? And just because we might be able to figure out de-extinction, should we do it? We'll get to all of those questions later in this episode. Plus, today we've been hearing more about RoboDebt. That was a scheme that I know lots of you were caught up in. In a moment, you'll find out why an interview from Hack, this show, was mentioned at today's Royal Commission. Those stories are coming up on the Hack podcast. Hack. We'd like to see a different attitude where the community in general is more informed and understanding of diabetes. On Triple J. First up on the show today, have you ever been denied entry to a club or venue because of your disability? That's what happened to Steph in Melbourne. Steph has type 1 diabetes and when her blood sugar dropped when she was out one night, she didn't receive any help and was kicked out of a club. When she went back to the same club two nights later, she was refused entry. Turns out Steph isn't the only one who's been through this kind of thing. If you've faced discrimination because of your chronic illness or disability before, let me know. Text in 0439 75 7555 or call 1300 03536. Kimberly Price has been looking into this story. When we tried to get in, the main bouncer, he was like, take your diabetes elsewhere. Um, and then he's like, take your blood sugar elsewhere. Like, we don't want you here. That's Steph. She's 25 and lives in Melbourne. What started out as some casual drinks on a Sunday quickly turned when she was denied entry to a popular nightclub that she'd been to that very weekend. We're waiting in the line and I show my ID and they say, well, you're actually banned. The reason? Steph has type 1 diabetes and had a hypo at the club two nights earlier. The full name for a hypo is hypoglycemia and means there's a very low level of glucose in your blood. When this happens, your body doesn't have much energy at all. Now, Steph's the first to say she'd had a bit to drink on Friday night, but nowhere near the levels she'd expect to be kicked out for. You kind of look like you're drunk when your blood sugar's low. It's really hard to kick it, like it can just go low randomly. Steph usually wears a continuous glucose monitor, or a CGM which is a little white circle patch you see on the back of some people with diabetes arms to keep blood sugars in check. But her monitor had just ended its cycle, so she wasn't wearing one. So my blood sugar that night had been super, super high. Steph was in the club having a good time when her blood sugar dropped. She was kicked out of the club and left to fend for herself. I was just waiting on the street and my Uber wasn't working. I was like, can I please just go in and find my friend? And they were like, no, like you're not allowed back in. Eventually, an ambulance was called and dropped Steph off at her friend's house. But what was most alarming was the way she was treated on that Friday night. Then I was stuck by myself and like with diabetes, I feel like you kind of almost always need like a friend with you. Steph's lost count of the times she's been discriminated against. Probably a year ago, my blood sugar was just low. 
So I went to the bar and I asked for this red cordial. The bouncer like grabbed me and he was like, this is like too much for us to have a diabetic in here, so we have to kick you out. Data from Diabetes Victoria shows over 20,000 Australians aged between 16 and 30 live with type 1 diabetes. Suzanne Baxendall here. I'm the advocacy coordinator at Diabetes Victoria based in Melbourne. We work with people with type 1 diabetes who have been refused entry to pubs, clubs, places of recreation, and sometimes it's live music concerts. Susan wants young people with diabetes to still have a good time and remain healthy and safe. If you're going to be out drinking alcohol or engaged in recreation drugs, there's so much practical, factual information about so that you can have a great, safe time while you're doing what you need to do as a young person. But she says there's a lot of work to do to ensure instances like Steph's don't happen again. Diabetes is an invisible illness, but by golly, it's a relentless one that requires requires 24-7 attention. Oh, look, without question, um, there needs to be more education, but it's the old story, the right information at the right place and the right time and the right format. Diabetes Victoria CEO, Glenn Noonan, believes the type of diabetes felt by Steph is due to the way people think about diabetes. Basically, diabetes does have an image problem. Our research shows Four in five people with diabetes have experienced some form of stigma or discrimination in their day-to-day lives. Glenn has been advocating for venues to have greater understanding of the illness, as food and drinks can quickly alter a person's blood sugar levels. We'd like to see a different attitude where the community in general is more informed and understanding of diabetes. And for people like Steph, who might experience a change in her blood sugar levels, for any number of reasons, She receives assistance. Steph says if people knew a lot more about diabetes, she wouldn't need to worry about her night ending badly. Lots of people like I meet have no idea what it means when your budget is low or when your budget is high. Like, yeah, I feel like there's definitely not enough awareness. Hack on Triple J. Kimberly Price reporting there on the Triple J text line. Kenny, you say, my friend has a speech impediment and is refused entry from about 90% of nightclubs because of slurring. I want to talk more about this and the discrimination that people with disabilities face, especially people who live with invisible disabilities or chronic illnesses. Nicole Lee is the president of People with Disabilities Australia. Nicole, thanks so much for speaking with me. You've been listening to that story and what's coming through on the text line. What's your reaction to what happened to Steph there? Um, well, it's absolutely appalling and, and, and totally abhorrent behaviour on, on behalf of this nightclub. Um, it's not something that is a surprise to myself or to many others. And, um, you know, and, and, and these are serious medical conditions and, and they need to be treated seriously and properly. And, um, and to be putting somebody's life in danger plus the embarrassment plus the discrimination is, is something that needs to Mass- massively and drastically needs to be addressed 
But as your caller pointed out, you know, this is a bigger, you know, bigger problem than just simply people with diabetes and 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 um and having you know either too much insulin or, or too little insulin in in situations like this affects people who have different ways of communicating. This affects people who have um you know altered movement in their mobility and they don't necessarily have a mobility aid. That far too often many disabled people are discriminated against, refused entry, and you know and denied access to the same you know spaces and services and and and, and community um, you know places that you know, everybody else has the same right and access to you know to attend and engage in, and it even comes down to things like I know people who have called the police in an emergency and have had the phone hung up on them because their speech is not that uh, like other people and it is automatically assumed that they are drunk and they're told to call back when they're sober and they're in an emergency and they need help straight away and they cop that discrimination in a live or die situation. Mm. So, you know, this is a widespread problem and Ignorance is not enough. And in 2023, we need to be having, you know, proper training and disability access and understanding for all venues and, um, you know, businesses and services and and venues such as nightclubs to understand, recognise and respond to this and respond to these issues for people because, you know, we belong in every aspect of society. The Disability Discrimination Act says that they cannot discriminate against us. So they need to lift their game around their inclusion policies and training their staff to recognise when somebody needs help and to recognise that someone has a disability versus, you know, labelling or stigmatising them as being drunk or drug addict, which is another issue, again, on top of all of this. Yeah, and Nicole, just to pick up on something you said there about ignorance, and I guess to sort of unpack that a little bit, in, in that story we heard before, it's possible or likely even that the security guard, the bar staff weren't acting in bad faith. We'd like to think that anyway. It's possible that they were just ignorant of what hypoglycemia is, what it presents Mm. like. So the issue might not be intentional prejudice a lot of the time, but a lack of awareness, it's ignorance. So how do we go about, as you say there, you know, we have to step up and do better. How do do you go about that in a practical sense? Because this is, we're talking about the general population here and, you know, hundreds, thousands of venues or public places Places around the country. Well, you, you have an automatic and and a um, you know a dedicated accessibility plan, which includes training for all staff to be able to understand and recognise. So to remove that element of ignorance and to remove that human error, and actually train people to be able to do their job and to support the community and to facilitate inclusion for all people in every aspect of society. I mean. We live with this day in, day out, and we encounter these, you know, um, you know, scenarios far too often, and it wears people down, and it makes people feel like they do not belong, and that they're not worthy, or that they become a burden, or you know, that stigma breaks people down, and we need the rest of the community to actually do better 
at you know developing training delivering training and ensuring that there's ongoing you know touching base with people to ensure that they understand and that they're up to date with what to do and how to respond the responsibility should not be on us to continuously explain continuously um you know educate people on these issues mm. we need businesses to step up because as i said they cannot discriminate so they need to put you know things in place and policies in place to ensure that they have the best accessibility plan possible so that everybody's included and that everybody feels safe because we belong in all aspects of society and that includes young people going out to nightclubs having fun having a few drinks meeting people, making friends, dating, everything. Nicole, just quickly before we have to let you go and wrap up this segment, um, for people listening right now who've come across this or if they do um, face discrimination because of a disability in the future, what should they do? Where should they go? Well, for one, they can lodge a disability discrimination, um, you know, application you know um they can make contact with the human rights commission they can most certainly make contact with people with disability australia so that we can offer them um support and guidance on what are the next steps um that you know i definitely implore people to you know reach out to the organization or to um you know reach out to somebody that mm. they know and trust to support them to navigate the process of ensuring that their rights are upheld um, if they can access a human rights lawyer without having to pay for it, then that is a brilliant step. Different states have different laws, but it's ensuring that they get an advocate on their side um, and finding that person, which, you know, our organisation amongst, there's others out there as well, Women with Disabilities mm. Australia, um, to be able to guide them in how to go about making a complaint and and supporting them to do that. So the burden isn't necessarily placed on the disabled on person yeah. constantly. Absolutely. And it's, it's good to know that there, there are so many avenues that you can do if this does happen to you, but we want you know it to not happen in the first place. But Nicole Lee, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Nicole Lee there from uh, People with Disabilities Australia. Hack. There's a lot of work to be done to make sure that it doesn't happen again. They wreak untold human harm on Triple J. At Hack, we always want to bring you stories that get you talking, of course. And if there's one story that over the years got more people talking than anything else, I reckon it's robo debt. So many of you got in touch with us to tell us you'd received a faulty debt notice from Centrelink. RoboDebt was this scheme that we know caused a huge amount of stress, both financial and emotional, and it was one of those things that we now know was just plain wrong. Well, today, a former minister made a massive admission about the scheme in the RoboDebt Royal Commission. In a sec, we'll speak to our political reporter, Shalila Madora, who's been following the hearing. But first, Shalila's here to give us a quick recap on what RoboDebt was. Eight years ago, the then coalition government announced it would crack down on welfare overpayments and the so-called robo-debt scheme was born. Those who commit fraud will fail. We'll, we'll, we'll find them, uh, we'll mount a brief against them and we'll prosecute them. It got its name because of the way the system was designed, the creation of automated debt notices based on income averaging. That meant the algorithm would take your tax info and divide it into fortnightly payments to work out if you've been getting too much in welfare. 
They're chasing me for seven grand from 2014, and I've been fighting it tooth and nail, been contacting my MP. The recipients were mostly young people like you, who'd been getting assistance for a period while working or studying. In some cases, they'd been asked to prove their payments from up to seven years prior. Suddenly, the onus was on you to prove that you hadn't been rorting the system. Initially gut-wrenching, literally gut-wrenching. And then the panic starts of, who do I ask? Where do I go? What do I do? Do I sell the car? It was pretty clear early on that there were major issues with the program. By the end of 2016, the scheme ramped up big time, going from 20,000 debt notices a year to the same number every week. Nearly 410,000 alleged robo-debts were raised up till October 2018. We don't know how often the system is getting it wrong. The Ombudsman, which is the watchdog keeping an eye on government departments, started looking into the scheme at the start of 2017. Despite that, the scheme was extended in the 2018 budget. A few months later, Victorian Legal Aid challenged the scheme in the federal court. Also in 2019, Gordon Legal launched a class action against robo-debt, representing 400,000 debt recipients. And then the government agreed with the federal court orders that solely using income averaging to raise debts was unlawful. In November 2019, the government made a shock announcement that it was pausing debt recovery for some robo-debts. In June 2020, then Prime Minister Scott Morrison stood up in Parliament and said sorry. But that wasn't the end of the government's woes. In November 2020, just a day before the class action was due to start, it reached a settlement with Gordon Legal. That ended up being worth $1.8 billion. Justice Bernard Murphy said the class action exposed a shameful chapter and a massive failure in public administration. But for many of the people involved, the money would never account for the stress caused by getting a debt you simply didn't owe. I already suffer from mental health problems. I have panic disorder. I fall in and out of depression and I'd really sacrificed everything for the last year. Thanks so much for that update, Shalila. And after all of that happened, a Royal Commission was called into robo-debt. And a Royal Commission, just to remind you listening, is this really powerful, special type of independent inquiry. It can compel people, certain people, to come forward and give evidence. That's been going on for a little while, including today, where they spoke to someone really important, Alan Tudge, who was the minister in charge at the time. Shalila, Alan Tudge made a huge admission today, didn't he? Yeah, so Ange, this whole exercise has been finding about, you know, finding out about who's responsible, where the buck stops. And one of the biggest things they wanted to find out is whether or not key players in this scheme knew that income averaging was unlawful when the scheme itself was created. So far, we haven't had a lot of answers to that. We're going to be honest. There's been a lot of buck shifting and blame shifting from politicians to their departments and from department heads back to the pollies. But today we got a really big admission from the former minister. He was asked by Commissioner Justin Gregory if he knew if the design of the robo-debt scheme would mean that a whole lot of false debt were raised and he said yeah basically he had an inkling here's his exact words i was aware that the system even from an income averaging perspective had the potential 
to create inaccuracies. Yeah, that's a massive admission. And it's the kind of thing you only get from a royal commission. It shows how powerful and useful this type of inquiry is. And as you said before, Shalila, Hack's been covering robo-debt for years. We were one of the first places to cover this issue. And today in the Royal Commission, an interview of ours got a mention. Why did it come up? It came up in relation to a response to... Mr Tudge's media strategy in 2016. Basically, the commissioners wanted to find out if it was pressure from news outlets like Hack and other news outlets that were covering it that had led to some of the improvements that we saw in the way that the scheme ran over its you know, five-year life or whatever it was. Um, what we found out today was that the in the early days, the program would actually charge people a 10% recovery fee on top of their debt, even mm. if that overpayment was an accidental one, like even if they didn't deliberately set out to get more money. So Sarah McVie asked Alan Tudge why the government was doing that back in December 2016. Why are people being hit with a 10% recovery fee? I'm not aware of that uh, that's new to me Sarah. do you think that's appropriate as i said that's 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 new to me that's uh yeah well, 10 percent recovery fee is new to me sure and i'm not i don't believe that does occur so that interview came up today from 2016 here's here's what happened one of those examples is that you might recall being on um an interview for triple j hack just before you went on leave in December 2017, where you were asked about the 10% recovery yes. fee, um, and you said words to the effect of, well, that's news to me. I'm sure that we have a transcript of it, if you'd You've like You've got a transcript of it. I've, I've familiarised myself with that transcript, and I recall the interview because I recall being annoyed with myself coming out of the, um, either off the telephone or out of the interview studio. From memory, it was in very late December, just a few days before Christmas and literally possibly even the day before I left to go on leave. And then on the day that I came back from leave, it was one of the issues which I began to understand in a, a level of detail. So just to translate, Shalala, Alan Tudge is saying a question that our previous host and reporter Sarah McVie asked him at the time was the reason why he started looking into this whole 10% recovery thing. Yes, he's saying that the pressure from that interview, and I want to be clear, it's not just the interview that was the precipitator, but pressure that came from that. So other news outlets picked that up, advocacy advocacy groups, community members, they picked this up and they went, hey, that's not cool. That pressure led to him really looking into the issue and within six months that 10% recovery fee was scrapped, which actually is pretty cool. It goes to show how important that the stories that we hear from hack listeners are because we wouldn't have covered RoboDebt if people didn't bring that story to us in the first place. Absolutely. Well, the Royal Commission is something we'll stay across. Thanks so much for keeping us across it today, Shalila. You're very welcome. That's Shalila Medora there, political reporter in Canberra. Hack. Scientists at the genetic engineering company made famous for its mission to bring back the woolly mammoth are embarking on a new mission, the dodo bird. On Triple J. Should we bring back animals when they go extinct? Maybe we can leave dinosaurs alone, but what about the ones that have died because of humans messing things up? This company in America has decided to bring back animals from extinction. We've talked on Hack before about how they're planning to bring back the Tassie tiger, but now they've got their sights set on resurrecting something else, the dodo. What do you think about this plan? Would you be keen to see these extinct animals back on Earth or do you reckon it's a waste of money and we should focus on protecting what we've still got? Let me know, 0439 755 555. Here's April McLennan with more. 
So I'm just walking through some thick bush I walk through like every day on my way to work and I'm not going to lie, sometimes when I'm walking through here, I kind of wonder to myself, could a Tasmanian tiger be about to attack me? Absurd, I know, but we all have irrational things we believe in. Looked about half the size of a German shepherd. What does it sound like? Uh, oh, sort of a growling, gargling noise. It was a beachy colour, beachy fawny colour, with very dark stripes. And despite heaps of sightings over the years, there's no proof anyone's actually seen one since the last tiger died in the 1930s. But what if we could bring an extinct species back from the dead using DNA and cloning? While it sounds like something from a movie, a Texas-based company is actually trying to resurrect extinct animals. The de-extinction company, Colossal Biosciences, reckons they can bring back the Tassie tiger, woolly mammoth, and now the dodo, everyone's favourite flightless bird, after it was wiped out about 350 years ago. The Dallas company, which launched in 2021, has announced an extra $150 million in funding. And to date, it's raised $225 million from its investors to help bring back these animals. Here's what founder and CEO of Colossal, Ben Lamb, had to say. We only focus on animals that man had a hand in their extinction. And by bringing them back, they can actually fill an ecological void left by their absence. Now, I know what you're thinking. How the heck are they actually going to do this? Well, the DNA technology involves taking cells from the extinct animal's closest living relatives and splicing them with DNA from the extinct animal. And then we use CRISPR and some of these gene editing technologies to actually engineer a, a new cell or embryo that we either put in a surrogate animal uh, or in an artificial womb that we're also developing. Let's say they're successful in pulling this off. What happens then? Are we going to see mammoths roaming around the streets and dodos taking over as the new bin chicken? We work very, very closely with uh, governments, with local indigenous uh, people groups, and then also uh, top conservationists and wilding experts. And so the, we will actually have Tasmanian tigers and mammoths uh, before we even reintroduce them back into the wild. It will be, it's a longer process to reintroduce them back into the wild because you've got to be really, really thoughtful and you can, you got to be really thoughtful and measured about it. Mm, you say that, but we all remember how Jurassic Park ended. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan reporting there. Let's talk more about this with Dr. Darren Saunders. He's a science communicator from UNSW. Dr. Darren, can you first tell me a little bit about the dodo? It was a funny old bird, wasn't it? Couldn't fly, was native to Mauritius. What, what was special about the dodo? Why are people so fascinated by it? Yeah, I mean, biologically, it's hard to know why people were so fascinated by it. It was kind of, it was, you know, it's often held up as that sort of emblem of extinction and it kind of didn't deal very well with the arrival of colonial settlers onto the, the islands of Mauritius where, where it was last, you know, extinct. And it raises an important point, right? Even if we, even if, and there are so many ifs around if. being able to actually do this, <laughs> lots of ifs, many ifs, even if we're able to recreate a dodo, to put it back onto Mauritius where, you know, where it last was was uh, alive, 
all of the things that wiped it out still exist. So they're not going to survive back in the wild where they came from in the first place. And that's the same with most of these other things that we're talking about potentially de-extincting. Yeah, right. And let's talk about one of the, the big ifs, like how how this this company in the US is planning on doing this. Like what, how mm. can you explain briefly what they will do to bring back the, the dodo? Because it sounds very sci- sci-fi to me. There, yeah, look, there are a lot of ifs. What they'll do is they'll find a very close living relative, which I think is sort of something like a pigeon is a very close relative of the dodo. Mm. And they'll try to edit the genetic material in a pigeon to look like a dodo and then um, clone the eggs of the pigeon with the dodo DNA to make something that won't be exact an exact copy of a dodo. It'll be something like a, a hybrid somewhere between the pigeon and the dodo. Um, but, you know, to get that to work, I can't even begin to explain to you how many technological hurdles there are to that. And, and, you know, they talk they talk about it as if it's just this thing that will eventually happen. I, you know, most people in the field believe that the technology is just too far away at the moment to be even close to possible. Yeah, and let's so let's just say, you know, this does happen if all of those ifs come off and it's a miraculous, <laughs> you know, feat of science and <laughs> bioengineering or, or however you might call it. Um, there's some big ethical questions around this because if they bring it back, it, and they bring back, you know, the Tassie tiger and the woolly mammoth as well. If all of that happens, I wonder if it starts to feel like it seems like we can bring anything back. And could that doing that risk people having a false sense of security about animal extinctions? Does it kind of, could it risk us worrying less about all of the animals that are on the brink of extinction? Because we go, oh, well, it's all right if that one dies out because we've got these, you know, nerds in America who can <laughs> bring it back. Like what kind of impact could that have? Yeah, I think you've put that really, you've put it better than I could. That's exactly one of the main concerns around this. There's also a concern that, you know, maybe instead of all this time and effort into bringing things back from extinction, maybe we could put some focus on stopping things going extinct that are highly endangered at the moment. Um, I look Honestly, I think a lot of what's going on here is this company is very good at generating headlines around this extinction stuff and they will, they will learn a lot about the technology that will be really applicable to medicine and assisted reproduction and things like that. So it's not like we won't learn anything by trying. Right. But I think the actual reality of getting these things de-extincted is so far away. Um, but you're right; it does it does risk changing people's perceptions of of what extinction means. Um, and and I think you know there's not really great acceptance in the community of genetically engineered organisms, whether it's in our food chain or in wildlife or anything like that. So that's a great big hurdle for us to face as well. Yeah, so many hurdles, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do. Yeah, bring back the dodo. I mean, it, I I would like to see one. I think it could be cool, but I, it oh, seems like oh, it's, yeah. it's a long way off. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's a long way off. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Dr. Darren Saunders, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ange. Thanks so much for listening to The Hack Podcast. I'm Ange McCormack. I'll be filling in for Dave Marchese again tomorrow. So see you then. Hack on Triple J.